Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. This message wraps up our series on the book of Revelation. And of course, there is so much more that could be covered on this. Uh, we've just kind of really touched the surface uh, in these past eight weeks. And uh, since we've really taken this focus on worship, I, I wanna encourage you to get a chance, go back through, read Revelation, and uh, just allow other themes and, and uh, the images and the symbols to, to speak and as the Holy Spirit leads you. Uh, remember early on as we looked at the book, there was a reminder there that we are blessed when we read it, we're blessed when we hear it. And so it's, it's not meant to be a book that sits on our shelves, but one that is included in the whole of Scripture uh, as, we get to know, as we get to know the Lord. So let's look at where we've been so far. I'm just going to do a quick recap over the past seven weeks, and then we'll go into today's uh, message. Uh, we started out with an introduction, and we were reminded that revelation, it's not revelations, plural. There's one revelation, and it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're intended to see. That's why it's written is so that we can see uh, not just in times events. It's not written to be a, a book about codes and, and mysterious uh, puzzles that we have to figure out. It's really meant to be a revelation or an unveiling of who Jesus Christ is and how he rules and reigns, especially in the end times. Uh, we moved on to John's commissioning. And so John was given this vision of Jesus and in that vision, he fell at his feet as though dead. It was amazing, this picture of who Jesus is. And he was told, though, from that point, he, said, uh, he was instructed, now the things that you observe, these symbols that you're going to see, all these pictures, write all this down, and you're going to give it to the church. And uh, so that's what uh, John did, and that's why we have the book of Revelation, as John wrote down and he followed through on his commission. Uh, on the tail end of that, in, in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, we have the letters to the seven churches. And so this is really a picture of Jesus, um, the, the glorified Christ, standing in the middle of these seven lampstands. And the lampstands uh, stands represent the seven churches in Asia Minor, but maybe more accurately, the seven represents the church as a whole. And so while they were addressed to those specific churches, they really, uh, it's Jesus uh, communicating that he sees and he's in the middle of his church and he's still giving instruction. He hasn't abandoned the church. He's not just the crucified Christ. He's the resurrected Christ who is seated on the throne, who has much to say to his church. Uh, we went on from there and looked at the multitude worshiping the Lamb. And so John sees the 144,000. That's the first time that that's introduced. And as we talked about, this is a super tribe. This is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, 144,000 who you know, represent that the whole family, everybody who's supposed to be in heaven was there. And it's this great multitude he also sees along with the 144,000. And they're from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And so it's at this point in Revelation that we see these two uh, divergent paths. It's those who are worshiping the Lamb upon the throne and those who are still worshiping uh, the way of this world. And we begin to see those uh, two directions more uh, strongly emphasized about how those two directions take off. 
From there, we saw the dragon and the defeat of the dragon by the sun. And so we have the picture of the woman who gives birth to the sun. And it's this age old story uh, of all of human history where Satan, the accuser who constantly blasphemes God, and he accuses those who are followers of God. And so that's really the way of the dragon, those who accuse and the way of the Antichrist. And Jesus put the dragon under his foot and he made a way for us to experience relationship back with the Father. And so this is that whole imagery of uh, the dragon, the accuser chasing the son, but also chasing the woman, the church, uh, and, and Israel throughout the ages. The mark of the beast and the mark of the father, this was last week's message, and it pointed to this great divide that's been taking place and will continue to take place until Jesus Christ returns to fully establish his kingdom on earth. And it's between those who embrace the spirit of the Antichrist versus those who embrace Jesus as King and Lord. And the first ones who follow the Antichrist, right, they, they are marked. And we talked about this mark not being a tattoo, not being, you know, something that's you know, labeled across somebody's forehead. It's, it's really just their life is identified or it's marked in the spiritual realm as those who follow uh, the, the name of the beast, 666, which is the name of a man. It's the spirit or the way of those who are Antichrist, the Antichrist. But for those who follow the Lamb, we identified and we read how the Father marks them with His name. And so you have these two groupings, those who are following the way of the world and the way of the dragon who empowers as this evil power behind the world. And you have those who have the name and the image of the Father upon their life, and they follow the way of the Lamb. So these divergent paths that it becomes more and more emphasized the farther we go into Revelation, where you see uh, these divergent ways of living life and one leads to death, the other leads to eternal life, and how one begins to increase and that is the life in the lamb and it begins to overtake the life of those who follow the dragon. Well, in this message, we come to Revelation 21 and 22, and we're wrapping up this series on Revelation with a vision of what heaven is like and specifically the New Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to look at this description of the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And there are a lot of thoughts about what heaven will look like, but it makes sense that as we uh, open up and we look at Revelation 21 and 22, we begin with where the life all flows from, and that is the New Jerusalem. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Revelation 21. Oh, gracious Father, we're so thankful for this time to look into the scriptures as you lead us and guide us, and we're just so thankful for this image that we've seen, the, the pictures and the revealing of who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. We thank you for giving us this magnificent book, this reading that uh, really does show you as the, the glorious King, the living Christ, and the one who is coming again to rule and reign. And so we thank you for that. May we see you more clearly through this reading of uh, Revelation 21 and 22. May you quicken it to our heart and to our thinking, and may what comes out of it is greater worship in our lives for you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Revelation 21, I'll start at verse 9, and I'll be reading from the NIV uh, translation. 
One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the 12 gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a, mess, a measuring rod to, of gold to measure the city its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Oh my goodness, there's so much that's here for us to see and to consider. Uh, let's start with the physical characteristics of the holy city, the new Jerusalem that is coming out of heaven. First of all, the size of it, uh, John's writing, and he gets these numbers as the angel uh, who is with him measures out with this gold measuring rod, 12,000 stadia. Uh, that equals 1,380 miles. And so the size is incredibly impressive, right? 1,380 miles in size is this city. Uh, you know, the, the focus of the measuring, though, this is what's interesting. It, it's not just that it was big, it was just this massive wall, but that it was described in 12,000, right? We go back to the number 12 and how significant that is throughout the book of Revelation. And so this city is measured out in 12,000 stadia. So this is a super complete dimension to the city. Uh, the 12, it's not just 12 miles or it's not just uh, 12 stadia, it's 12,000 stadia. And so 1,380 miles. But this image again, it's, it's the super complete dimension to the city. It's perfect. And so it's also not a coincidence 
that this super city has walls that are 144 cubits thick. And that's about 215, 216 feet thick. So again, massively long and uh, wide and tall, right? All of these measurements, but also incredibly thick are these walls, 144 cubits. Again, the equation here isn't just that it's massively thick, but that is supposed to capture our attention, but that 144 is divisible by 12. How many times? 12 times. 12 times 12 is 144. So even the thickness of the walls is divisible by 12, 12 times 12. And so this is supposed to capture our attention that the walls of the city, uh, both the length and the width, because it's a perfect square and it's, and it's also its height, it's as tall as it is long and as it is wide. And then the, the depth or the thickness of the walls is uh, 12 times 12 in their thickness. And so all of this comes together of an image that is just perfect and massive and complete in its size and in its dimensions. Its foundations, how many foundations does this city have? 12. Yep, you guessed it. Each one is decorated with different precious stones. Each foundation has the name of one of the 12 apostles on them. So that's phenomenal. It's, it's the names of the apostles, those who follow Jesus. And it also has all these embellished and its uh, foundations are of all these stones, um, precious stones. The gates, how many gates are there? Yes, again, 12. Uh, 12 gates that give access to the city. Each one is a solid pearl. On the gates are written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and there's an angel at each gate. The street itself, the street is of such pure gold that it looks like it's translucent glass. It's just so pure. It just reflects everything. It's just this amazing, amazing picture of this main street that goes right into uh, and right through the city that is made of pure gold. So to summarize all of these images, we have a city that's walls are 12,000 times four in length and width, 12,000 times four in height. Uh, it is 12 times 12 uh, in its thickness. These walls are embellished with jewels. The foundations are solid jewels. Its 12 gates are solid pearls and its gold street is of the purest gold. Right? Does this just overwhelm your senses, your visual senses, when you think about just how magnificent, how just incredibly massive this is? And that's part of what's supposed to happen is we are given this picture. It, it's supposed to be very difficult for us to even fathom something this huge, this perfect and complete in, in, its, in, in what it is. So this physical makeup is impressive, but there's more going on here than just God wanting to impress us about this city. It's not meant to be like an episode of HGTV where we just hear about how amazing the designer is, how God has done an amazing job of putting this, uh, this city together. All of this imagery and symbolism is meant to help us and to lead us to feel something. So when we look at these images and we read through this uh, description of the great city, the new Jerusalem, one of the first things we're meant to feel, and I alluded to it already, is that we are supposed to feel awe. 
the sense of awe and just amazement of the grandeur of the new Jerusalem that's coming down. Just the sheer scale and colors that are coming and bouncing off of the light, all these, uh, the, the gold and the precious jewels and the walls embellished with these jewels and the gates of just a solid pearl, all of this glory that's radiating, it's emanating away from and out of this city, it is intended to put you and I in just complete and utter amazement and awe. And this is before we even see God himself. It's intended for us just to gasp at just the magnificence of this city. We're also intended uh, to experience this sense of security. So cities are places where in ancient times you could feel very vulnerable within the city. Uh, vulnerable to outside attacks, right? And that was the intent of having these walls is that we would, you, you would feel somewhat secure, but walls in these cities could be broken down. In fact, that over and over, that, that was the method. They would breach the wall. They would collapse, uh, collapse the wall, but not this city. <laughs> you're, you're not going to touch these walls in any way that would cause this city to feel insecure in any way. It's so ridiculously fortified that you feel totally at ease. Like as soon as you would walk into the city, you would just feel like nothing is getting in here except that which is supposed to be in here. In fact, because of the light that emanates from God and the Lamb, the gates of the city never close. That's the other aspect of it. These gates stay open. You've got gates, but they're open all the time. And, and that's because there's never darkness. There's never a sense of we're at risk or we need to fear for our lives or we need to you know, shut off and close off the city because we, we might be besieged. No, it's an image of these gates are always open. The light is always on. The, 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 the power and the glory is always present. And, and so it's always open because there's nothing that is ever hidden in the dark here in this city. Everything is in the light. I hope you see that picture, just for one, a sense of awe, but also this sense of security. These walls, their thickness, the light, the gates is just so massive, but also just the presence of God himself is supposed to lead us to this feeling that things are very secure here. Everything is at peace and nothing is at risk. Another thing we should feel as we look and we read this description of the new Jerusalem is we should feel this connection, right? When you come to a city, one of the things, and this is in contrast to cities in general, is apart from sometimes feeling insecure and that they can be besieged, is this idea that you go into a city and it's so massive and there's so many people, it's just a whole lot of strangers, and so cities can feel this disconnectedness to them. You might be surrounded by people, but you feel all alone. And you feel like this is somebody else's place. Uh, I don't belong here. Or it's so much bigger than I am that it's just going to swallow me up. Well, not in the New Jerusalem. That's, that's not the image that we're given. Even before you enter the city, you feel a part of it. Because if you look at the foundations, you see those family members who walked with Jesus. You see the 12 disciples, right? You're seeing, 
you sing James and John and Peter, and you're like, I know them. <laughs> this is, these are my people. This is my city, right? This is, it's such an invitation just on the foundations themselves. We haven't even gotten into the city and we already feel, we haven't even seen anybody. We're just looking at walls and foundations and all of a sudden we're already like, this is my place. I belong here. As you look at this new Jerusalem that's coming out of heaven. So, it's, it's this idea where we see the 12 disciples. As we approach the gates, we see those uh, 12 tribes of Israel. They're, the names of the 12 tribes are written on the gates, right? And so it's this invitation, right? These are my people again. I'm from this tribe. I'm from, uh, I'm from the people of God. These are all our people. And so this is like really a welcome home. This is what we would think of as we would approach. We feel such a connection to the new Jerusalem. Uh, this, this is where we belong. It's, it's not the names of rulers of the world. They're not names like London, Paris, New York, Los Angeles, uh, uh, you know, Sao Paulo, um, Tokyo. They're, they're not the names that are of all the world and the world leaders. These are all names that we're familiar with. These are the names of our family. And so it's intended to walk into this place and just feel like this is where I've always belonged. This is where I've always longed for is to be with my people and the names of God's people written all over it. And of course, at the center of all of this is Father God and the Son. Their radiant glory just emanating out of the center of this. There's no temple present. There's, there's no great tower or building or structure that everything centers around. It's God himself. It, it's the Lamb of God there at the center and all of this glory emanating. And so this connection that we're, we're intended to feel is that we belong here. This is what our heart has always longed for. This is what our spirit calls out for us to be in this place. Well, one of the last things I want to highlight about what we should be intended or what's intended for us to feel is unity. And so apart from connection, there's once again this idea of diversity within those who worship right here in the New Jerusalem. But this diversity, instead of um, in major cities where you see little pockets, little ethnic groups that divide out, right? Little Tokyo, little China, little Italy, right? Uh, all of these, and then the suburbs out here uh, where you see so many um, folks coming out of these little pockets of ethnic groups, or uh, you know, this is this is the area where those who are of Hispanic or Mexican heritage, this is where they gather, right? So this is what happens in our cities: is we we get these little pockets of people, and that's how we diversify. Well, this is a different picture. Uh, this diversity has total unity because it focuses on God. And what an incredible picture that points to heaven where it says, the nations walk by its light, the kings of the earth bring their splendor into it. Now, this kind of blew my mind the first time I read it because I'm thinking, wait, we still have kings of the earth? We still have nations? And that's because one of my thoughts was that what's happening when, when we experience heaven is that all of these things get uh, dismantled. Everything gets shredded away and, and there's everybody just gets homogenized into one people, the people of Jesus. But what's an amazing picture is that's why sometimes I talk about how diversity is so important and we celebrate different languages and tongues is because it's filled throughout Revelation about how it's not done away with, it's made perfect in Christ. 
our diversity, the different languages and cultures and kings of the earth who, who represent all of these different nations and cultures, they all come together in Revelation. And instead of there being divisiveness or glorifying their expression, what happens is all of it comes together to glorify Jesus. And so all these languages glorify the Lamb. All of this, uh, you know, I love the idea that there's going to be fantastic Mexican food in heaven. <laughs> I love the idea that there's going to be uh, African culture and dance and song in heaven. I love that there's going to be, uh, you know, Asian uh, voices singing out to Jesus in heaven. I love that there's going to be so much different culture there. And all of it points to this unity where there's division and strife here on earth. Now it's brought into purity and splendor into the city and it amplifies, it just amplifies the glory of God. The only people who are coming and going into the city are those whose name, who, who have the name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so that's where the unity comes from. That there, there is great diversity, but there's great unity because the only ones entering into this city, it makes, it makes a point. There's a guest list. There's a directory. There's, there's people who belong in this city, and it's everyone whose name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So though we might come from all different places all over the earth and, and gather and congregate in this place, in this new Jerusalem, it is a place where everybody who's in there is intended to be there. Well, all those images... They actually get us ready to walk into the city and see what's happening as a result of all this glory and splendor that's around the city. And it's, it's really helpful for us to always think about that when we're reading in Scripture and we're reading something that God is doing, and particularly in Revelation and the New Jerusalem and what heaven looks like, we should really match that up against what our reality is like on earth because it's pointing to something utterly different, utterly in contrast. And it's saying, this is what it looks like when God does it in comparison to what it looks like when mankind or when the, the principality and powers of this earth do things. And it's supposed to stand in stark contrast. This is the, the way of this world. This is the way of God. And so that's what's happening in this great city. And so what happens in cities, there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of people focused on making money, making a name for themselves. Their systems, they break down because they can't sustain life. There's overconsumption, so there's this lack of supply within the city. It's too much consumption and not enough provision. Ultimately, ultimately, cities were centers of worship. Men's achievements and power that ceased to become life-giving, but ultimately ended up diminishing life, and they absorbed glory. All of the glory came into kings and rulers in these cities, and it all got absorbed into this one man or this person or this deity who was being worshipped within the city. And so this is in stark contrast to what God's giving us an image of here. In the New Jerusalem, it shows us that when Jesus returns, we will finally see what it's like when his kingdom comes and his will is done here on earth. And so no longer are we intended to see, or are we supposed to see, I wonder what it will be like when Christ returns. I mean, we still have some wonderings, but what Revelation does for us here is that it really begins to define it and clarify it. 
we will see and experiencing it directly, but right now we actually get a picture of it. It's not about us going someplace. It's about him putting all things right. The reality of heaven that's shown in Revelation is not about us escaping a world gone wrong. It's about God's redeeming, correcting, and restoring everything to the full purpose for which he had created it. He's giving it full purpose and worth. It's removing everyone and everything that refuses to allow God to make it whole and worship him. It's removing all of that so that we can get back to what God intended in the first place. And to see that, we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We begin to see the origins. So in my reading, in my study, it says that we're not going to disappear somewhere and spend eternity with a harp on a cloud singing songs. That's, that's not the image that Revelation is giving us. We're given all of these symbols and these images for us to think back to Genesis and make some of these connections of what God really intended for life here on earth to be like, how it got distorted, but how it could actually be realized if he was actually in full control. So let me read from Genesis 2, 8 through 10. It says, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. And it goes on from there. But hold on to that picture, right? You've got God placing the man in the garden. You've got the trees that are coming out of it and a river that's flowing out of Eden. And then it splits off from there. Now, we knew the detour that happens, right? Mankind sins, corrupts it all. Uh, instead of keeping relationship with God, we see sin enter in. And so we are, mankind is removed from the garden so that we don't eat from the tree of life because we ate when we weren't supposed to from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The ground is cursed, pain enters into our existence, and life begins as we currently know it, under struggle and toil and under a curse. But now we're looking at what happens if God and when God comes to earth with the new Jerusalem, we see once again a garden, a river and a tree. Only this time, well, let's let John tell us what he sees. Revelation 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
Oh, so fantastic, isn't it? This imagery that we see in Genesis, it's carried forward because it's the same picture that God was desiring all along. Instead of scrapping it, instead of just saying, well, it never happened, I'm just gonna throw it all away. God says, nope, here's what I do. I restore, I redeem, I heal. And so I just love redemption, healing, restoration. All of this is flowing from that river that originates from the throne. Now, this is significant. It's life-giving water that originates in the city in contrast to something that has to be brought in to sustain the city. It's the same image that we read from the Garden of Eden, right? The river that flowed through the garden that sustained all of life. Here, the water runs right down the middle of the city, and it supplies water to the tree of life that bears how many crops? That's right, 12, 12 crops of fruit. And continually, it just bears out this fruit. The leaves, did you catch that? The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Again, this is speaking to Babel no longer, no longer divisiveness, no longer brokenness among peoples, but is this healing among the nations that we don't fight and war against one another, but in the, the place in heaven where the new Jerusalem is at the center of it all and God is at the center of all of that, there's healing and restoration among the nations. No more night and they will reign forever and ever. Oh my goodness, such a beautiful picture that we're given of what happens when Christ fully becomes king, when Jesus the lamb is on the throne and we're not trying to experience it from a distance here on earth, but when he actually does, his kingdom comes and his will is done here on earth, just as it's been happening in heaven since before there's even been earth throughout the ages, for all of eternity, now we get to experience it here on earth as well. A new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, and new creation life happens as God is on his throne and the river goes out and healing and restoration and the fullness of life comes to all of us through it. This really is the garden in Genesis, only better only magnified over with God at the center of it. It points us to what was supposed to be there, what was supposed to happen, but now we see the water of life feeding the tree of life. No tree of the knowledge of good and evil, just the tree of life for which we get to receive from its harvest, 12 harvest over and over, 12 crops. It's a picture of total redemption and total healing of all people and all nations. Well, I want to close just with this idea that this is the reality of heaven. It's to know life as God truly intended it to be, an unending experience of life where redemption and healing flows in the life-giving stream of God's presence. I hope you can say amen to that. I hope you just see a picture where we're not vacated off of this earth, where this all of what we're experiencing doesn't just burn and get cast aside. This is God's redeeming work that out of the center of heaven, out of the center of the holy city flows this stream and there's redemption, there's healing, and there's all of what God intended it to be is made whole. I love that picture. It's so much of what Jesus has done in my life. It's so much of what he does in every person who will reach out to him and say, yes, Jesus, you're Lord. You're the one who I come to. Then there's this new life, a new creation is born for every individual that does that. And there begins to start a healing process, a restoring process for all that was broken, all that was taken. It begins to experience that healing within us. But we await 
we await with longing for this flesh, this world, and all of its physical nature that's wasting away to experience this redemption that we just read about. This, this is revelation that we see Jesus and what he's coming to, what he has come to do, what he is doing, and what he's going to do when he returns again. I hope you can grasp it. I hope you can see even a glimpse of it. And as you walk with Jesus more, that you get to see it more and more of this redeeming and restoring work that he's going to do in fullness when he becomes king over the earth in its completion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for these eight weeks of revealing uh, what it looks like when we worship you of all that flows from your throne and is imparted to us. God, we pray that this vision would just continue to increase in us and it would be so life-giving to us that it would give us hope and patient endurance as we live with you and for you. Lord, we know we're not experiencing it yet. There's still death. There's still pain. There's still hurt. And God, we groan. We, we, we long for this time when you'll come and make all things right. But in between then and now, we just want to live in the fullness of what we have. We want to experience new life, new creation life, even now. We long to see it in its fullness and its completeness when you come again. But for now, we'll take hold of what we have and we'll look to make it even bigger in our life and in those that we encounter to bring new creation life everywhere we go. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.